turned it off, which would be user error. Joe would be quick to point that out. I want to ask you a question tonight. Do you believe that God has a plan for your life? Do you believe that God has a plan in history? You know, we would all answer yes, and I would agree with you that God has a plan in history. But oftentimes, doesn't it seem like sometimes like our world is spinning out of control? It seems as if our nation, perhaps, is getting further and further away from God each passing day. Some would even suggest that God somehow has lost its grip on the world. But you and I know better. We know that there is a plan. We know that God has a plan, and it's a plan that neither you or I, if in the same position, we would choose. We certainly wouldn't volunteer to be part of that plan or be willing to go through with it, but what we do know is that God has a plan. And what we know is that creation, from the very beginning of time, has been working towards that plan. You and I, mankind, has been working towards that plan. History itself has been working hand in hand to make sure that that plan is brought out. There's no doubt times where you and I, we doubt that plan. We doubt the very process of it, and we don't understand it fully. But we know that God has a plan. Do you really think that you and I are the first people to ever question God, to have doubts about His plan? Think about the very first Good Friday as the Lamb of God was being carried into the gates of Jerusalem and beaten and spit upon, a crown of thorns put on His head, and He was being put to death. Don't you think that people were questioning the plan of God? Yes, they were, but you and I know that God had a plan in place. Think of the nation of Israel, all that the nation of Israel has gone through, all the way back to the very beginning. We know that the nation of Israel ended up in Egypt because of one man through Joseph. He saved his family, he brought them into Egypt, he saved the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel began to grow, but we know that as it began to grow, they began to get powerful. And then the, the, the nation of Egypt was looking at them and thinking, oh, they're getting too powerful, so they enslaved them. Don't you think they were questioning God's plan? See, what God does is He frees the nation of Israel. And when He does that, He gives them a glimpse into the future. He gives them a glimpse of how His plan will come together. Well, tonight I want to talk a little bit in our short time together about a book that I've been reading. It's called Understanding Jesus. It's cultural insights into the words and the deeds of Christ. It's written by a, a gentleman named Joe Amaral, who is an author and scholar who has studied the Jewish customs and its roots to Christianity. And I will tell you this, in reading this book, it points out some stunning insights as to how God's plan works together. It's, it gives us some stunning insights how the, 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 the Passover lamb and the lamb of God work Together, And what we'll find out by the time our short time is over is that Jesus Christ, it's always been the plan that Jesus Christ was going to be the Passover lamb. If you go back to the very first Passover, you know the nation of Israel was in Egypt. They were in slavery. Moses was sent and said, hey, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, yeah, I will, but then I won't. And then, yeah, I will. And then, I, no, I won't. He, he was toying with them and toying with God. And so we know that God ended up bringing plagues 
And his heart was hardened, right? Plague after plague after plague until finally the final plague, the plague of death. And you and I know that the angel was to come into Egypt and to kill the firstborn. Every firstborn. However, we know that God had a plan. God gave the Israelites a way out of that death. If they would take it. They had a choice whether they were going to do what was needed. And what they needed to do was they needed to sacrifice a spotless lamb and take its blood and put it on the sides of the doorposts and over the top. And what we come to find out is this would be a sign. The author, Amaral, he points out that this sign would be significant. As it was put onto the doorway, it actually forms a Hebrew letter. That Hebrew letter is Chet. And it is the eighth letter in the alphabet, and it carries with it the meaning of life. He says it's amazing to see that God would embed this symbol into the very first command He gives in regard to the Passover feast. When the angel of death came to the house that had the letter of life on it, this letter, it had to pass over the house because death cannot come where God has placed life. Very early on, we see that God has a plan. One of the things the author doesn't mention is that letter, that eighth letter in the Hebrew alphabet, also stands for light. And you and I both know that Jesus is the light of the world. He even states that in John 8, 12, where he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have light and will have life. As we move on from the first Passover, and we continue to look at the parallels between Jesus and that Passover lamb, what we find out is that lamb is going to have to be sacrificed. But in, only to be, in order to be sacrificed, it had to be chosen by the high priest. And that high priest would go and he would choose a pure and a spotless lamb. And then that lamb would have to be presented to the people. Well, this happened to Jesus in his lifetime. It took place by John the Baptist, who was not a high priest, but he came from the line of Aaron, which is the line of the high priest. And so he had the rights, being from the lineage of the high priest, to present Jesus when he baptized him, as he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb was chosen, and it was presented. When the high priest would go to choose the Lamb, that high priest would go to a place just outside of Jerusalem, a small town, you may have heard of it, Bethlehem. That's where these lambs were kept, and the high priest would go out and he would choose that lamb. We know that Jesus, the very Lamb of God, was born in Bethlehem. He was chosen out of Bethlehem. Doesn't it make you wonder if the shepherds that were abiding in their flocks in, 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 the, in the fields and, and being with their flocks by night, if they were the same shepherds that were coming to see the true spotless lamb, if they were the same ones that were looking after the Passover lambs. So the lamb was chosen. It, it, you, it, you went to the field just outside of Bethlehem. It was presented to people. And then what had to happen to that lamb, that Passover lamb, is it had to be brought to Jerusalem. For the sacrifice. It would be carried in through the east gate in Jerusalem on the 10th day of Nisan. And as this happened, people would gather. They would gather and they would watch and they would sing praises. And guess what they had in their hands? They had palm branches. And guess what they shouted? They shouted, Hosanna. 
Emerald points out that this explains why the crowd was at the eastern gates. Their palm branches already in hand when Jesus entered. In fact, Matthew records and tells us that the crowd actually met Jesus on the road and he was approaching the city. John adds another fact. He says that the crowd went out to meet Jesus because they had heard that this man, Jesus, had performed the messianic sign of raising Lazarus after four days in the grave. So Jesus entered. Entered through the very same gate as the Passover lamb. On the very same day, four days before Passover. The parallels continue. That sacrificial lamb was to be brought in through the gates at that specific time. And then what was supposed to happen was that sacrificial lamb was to be tied to the gates of the temple so that that lamb could be inspected for four days to make sure that lamb was without blemish. See, it, it, not just any sacrifice would do. It was the perfect sacrifice. It was the lamb without blemish. You and I know that the lamb of God He entered through that same gate on that same day and he was examined. He went before seven different trials, seven different courts. He went through Annas and and Caiaphas. Caiaphas sent him to the Pharisees, which were the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin couldn't find anything wrong with him, so they sent him to Pilate. Pilate couldn't find anything wrong, so he sends him to Herod. Herod sends him, I'm sending him back to Pilate. So Pilate says, you know what, I'm just going to present him to the people. Let the court of opinion take care of this. Through all of that, through all of the questioning and the beatings and everything that they did, the many hours that they stared at the Lamb of God, they could not find any fault in Him. Jesus, the perfect Lamb, is declared worthy to be the Passover Lamb. Not only does Pilate not find any fault in Him, but what does He do? He says, I'm going to wash my hands. It's interesting. Matthew records this in his Gospel. Why would he record that? Well, why would he record him washing his hand? But what we find out is that Matthew is Jewish, writing to a Jewish audience. And so it's not surprising that he would input something like this in there because it's a direct message to the Jews saying, this indeed is the Lamb of God. Amaral points this out. There are many requirements given by God in preparing to sacrifice the Passover lamb for your family. After an intense inspection of the lamb, and once you were satisfied that it had no fault or blemish, the one who was in charge of the lamb would wash his hands and then hand over the animal to be sacrificed. So it was time for the sacrifice. There was no fault found in him. The one who was in charge, who so he thought of was in charge, was Pilate. And he said, this man is worthy. He can be the lamb, because there is no fault in him. So it's time for the sacrifice, and that sacrifice of the Passover lamb had to be a public sacrifice, which we know Jesus was. And there comes the, then there comes the timing of this whole event that comes down. You see, 3 p.m. on the day of Passover, the lamb that was chosen from Bethlehem was to be sacrificed. And the formal end of that sacrifice, what would happen, this is how people would know. The people that weren't able to be there to be able to see it publicly, this is how they would know that it was over. At 3 p.m., the priest would climb the stairs to the temple mount. And at 3 p.m., he would blow the horn, the shofar, that would signify the sacrifice was complete. And everyone would know it. This, of course, is not the first time we've heard 
of this thing called shofar. Exodus 19, it'll be up on the screen, says, On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like the smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. See, the the Hebrew word for trumpet is shofar, which is a, a ram's horn. And in this passage, in Exodus, we see that the voice of God came in the form of the shofar blast to the people. And so what happened is, out of this passage, a belief came that the shofar was synonymous with the voice of God. So if you keep that in mind, and you look back to the priest of the Passover, and his sounding of the shofar at 3 o'clock to bring the Passover to a close, to those who heard that sound, what it represented was the voice of God declaring that his Passover lamb had indeed been sacrificed. Think about what that means. Think about when the horn was blown, what it meant to everybody. It signified that the sacrifice had been complete. And every Jewish person that would have heard it, and the whole city would have heard it, they would know what it meant. Amaral makes a suggestion. It's not a fact. It's a suggestion. But it tends to make sense. He says, it is very possible that Jesus interrupted this trumpet blast as the voice of His Father declaring that Jesus' work of giving His life so that we might have life was finished. See, what God had done, God made a selection of His Lamb. The Lamb was sacrificed. And now God was presenting Him for all to see. The Passover is now complete. The Lamb, the Passover Lamb, the Lamb of God has been slain. The parallels between the Passover Lamb and the Lamb of God They're just stunning. And this is not all of them. This is just a few of them. I mean, it's it's amazing to see that Jesus is the symbol of life and light, just like the blood that was on the doorpost. He was declared the Passover lamb. He was chosen out of Bethlehem. He was led through the very same gate that the Passover lamb was inspected. He was found to be innocent. No fault could be found in him. He was killed publicly. And at the announcement of his completion of the Passover sacrifice, it was finished. So what does that mean for you and I? We can have absolute confidence in the fact that Jesus of Nazareth was our Passover lamb. Not just because we see it in history, but because it's declared in the very Word of God when we read in 1 Corinthians 5-7, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. God had a plan. God still does have a plan. He's always had a plan to save His people. He's always had a plan to redeem His people. He is our Passover Lamb. Our response to that fact often moves us to tears when we think of what the Lamb of God went through. The agony, the pain, becoming sin for you and I. It moves us to tears. It causes us to be astonished that He would be willing to step out of heaven and take the form of a man to do that for you and I and to do it willingly. We are astonished by it. And our response to the fact that God has always had a plan and it's because He loves you and He loves me 
it should leave us in a state of gratefulness. We should be thankful for what He was do- has done for us, but it should leave us in a state of awe. To be in awe of Him. Our response tonight should be nothing short of worship. We should worship Him. We should thank Him for that plan. We should thank Him for the Passover Lamb, who is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank You that You provided a way. That You, you had a plan. Lord, you, you knew that from the very beginning nothing took You by surprise. Lord, You set up this idea of the Passover and the, the, the similarities and the parallels between that first Passover and the way that the Passover is celebrated to the Jewish people to the very Lamb of God is just amazing. And what we can do is we can look at that and be reassured that Jesus Christ is our Passover Lamb. And so for that, Father, we worship You. We want to just respond to Your greatness, respond to the sacrifice that You made for us. Lord, the the sacrifice on our behalf. Lord, we can't fathom it. We we are dumbfounded at times. It, It moves us to tears and we are forever grateful and in awe of You, Father, for providing that Passover lamb. We thank You. It seems like thank You is not enough, Lord, but we thank You from the bottom of of our hearts and we recognize that here tonight. And so we pray that as we continue to worship, as we continue to respond to the fact that You have provided a sacrifice, Lord, that You will be honored and lifted up this, this evening. We thank You for all this. In Your name, Amen.